If we could open the scriptures to Second uh, Timothy, and we'll continue in our series that we are working our way through this morning. I've titled my message this morning, The Cleansed Heart in Action. And I've got a text there from the book of Psalms, Created me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Kind of encapsulates the looked for outcome in our text today. But anyway, we'll go back to Second Timothy and we'll look from uh, verses 22 onward, having finished uh, last time at the end of verse 21. Verse 22, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. And may God add a blessing to his word this morning. Last time we were together, we looked at verses 20 to 21, and we dug into the meaning of Paul's illustration that he used, and the illustration was vessels in a large house. And we saw that there were vessels there, if we look back in those prior verses that we read today, there were vessels that were of gold and silver, and some were vessels of wood and earthenware. There were those that were honourable and those that were dishonourable. That's the kind of vessels that are described. And we saw how these contrasting household utensils, can we say, were used by Paul to describe believers in the household of God, the local church, the local assembly, as we are here this morning. And we learn from this that some believers are more useful to the master than others. Or put another way, some display the honour and glory of God's household, like the gold and silver, a whole lot more and a whole lot better than others do. Now, if you went away last time we were together and threw out all your plastic plates and uh, plastic cutlery, you completely missed the point of this message. And, um, or I missed the point of explaining it rightly. The challenge was that believers should want and should need, see the need to be gold and silver like vessels. True believers we discovered and we learned deep down, deep down within and in their hearts, they want to be more useful, to be more honourable. Believers like the wood and earthenware vessels in the church should want to change from being dishonourable vessels to being honourable vessels. That's what we learned. And I'm sure that's what all you as believers in Jesus Christ want this morning. You want to change to display something more of the honour that God's household rightly deserves and that God is due. 
I trust that was a challenge that you all received. And I trust the challenge that we did receive and I also have received myself was more than just a intellectual stimuli. In saying that, a person said to me recently, whenever you preach, I get so convicted. Or words to that effect. And this person was saying these words in appreciation uh, of the explanation of the text and, and the application of the text to his own life and for which I thanked him and the Lord uh, for his comments. But I also remember a person some years ago who said similar words to me. But his words were not an appreciation of the text or its application to his life. His response was, words to this effect, whenever you preach I get so convicted, I hate it. Sunday after Sunday, it, it... The preaching of the word upset him. It made him extremely uncomfortable. And so his solution was to stay away so that the preached word would not bother him anymore. And sadly, that's what he's done to this day. How sad is that? Folks, a cleansed heart that begins at salvation will continue wanting to be cleansed from the daily defilement of sin that so easily entangles us. And by the way, a cleansed heart at salvation, what I'm talking about is every person needs to be cleansed by God. You cannot do it yourself. You can go to church every, every week. You can pray four times a day. You can even read your Bible through from cover to cover. And you can do so many good works. You can tithe. You can do what it takes, but it will not cleanse you. You need the cleansing power of God that we've sung. You need to come to Jesus Christ in faith and humble yourself to him and say, Lord, I believe what you have done on the cross was for my sin. And that is the cleansing power of God at work. Okay? You need that. But as believers, it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't say, hey, I'm cleansed. Let's live life like we used to. No, 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 no. When a person is saved, born again, this is a, these are other words that describe this cleansing. When a person is saved, he or she will want to be cleansed and to keep free from the defilement and the temptation and the sin that we are confronted with and that comes upon us in clouds and waves sometimes. We want to be free of that. We want to be, not be involved in that. Hebrews 12, 1 tells us, the writer tells us this, right? Let me read this verse. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us, that is believers, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the writer to the Hebrews understands and understood that just because you come to Christ and you are a child of God eternally does not mean that you are perfect and that you are free from committing sin. No way. As Jordan Think prayed, we don't claim to be perfect. We don't claim to be 100% holy in practice. We're not. We're not. And so hence we need to be, have that ongoing cleansing. In other words, saved sinners like Timothy in our, re our reading, our text, and every other born-again believer will long to be a cleansed vessel, an honorable vessel, 
ready for the master's use so that he could be prepared for every good work. And being convicted or made feel uncomfortable about sin and error in our lives is a good thing, right? It's a really good thing. To come to the Word and hear it preached or reading it by ourselves and say, oh wow, I feel short about this. I don't come up to the mark of what God's Word has said. That's a good thing. Trouble is many Christians, believers, trying to justify their actions, their wrongness, their sinfulness, their disobedience. They try and justify it with something else. But rather than being confronted and convicted and come clean with God. That's the problem. And of course, we know that being convicted and made feel uncomfortable in and of itself is never enough, right? Being convicted of sin and confronted with our error and our shortcomings is by and in and of itself never, ever enough. It has to start there, don't get me wrong. It has to start there, just like conviction of sin and your need of a saviour has to start in the heart and the mind. It has to start there, but by itself it is just useless information that might make you feel bad or feel guilty or feel uncomfortable. You see, God's convicting truth is designed for something. You know what it's designed for? It's designed not only so that you might feel bad, but to affect the heart and mind so much that it concludes with ongoing changes in the believer's behavior. That's what a cleansed vessel in verse 21 is all about. That's what it's all about. It's no longer a dishonorable vessel when the one is cleansed, but it's cleansed and changed, and it's now an honorable vessel. And what is an honorable vessel ready for? He's ready for every good work. That's why it's, it's wonderful to come to the Lord's table, as we've done this morning, and even at the outset of our service, to come clean with God and, and to look back at the last week and, and know every single day there's been sin in our lives, whether it be thought or word or action, and say, Lord, and confess that sin and come clean with God so that we can worship him in spirit and in truth and so that we are ready to take of these emblems and to, and to serve one another. That's a good work because if you're not cleansed, you can do all the good things you like, but it won't count naught for God. Then we need to ask him, so what does a convicted and a changed vessel really look like in action? How does a believer cleansed from sin respond and live out life? Give us some clues, the Lord. Well, this section, the Apostle Paul gives Timothy those very indicator marks of what a cleansed vessel what should characterize his or her life what an honorable vessel looks like what a gold and silver like vessel really looks like and he does this by describing the kind of actions a cleansed vessel those who have been cleansed and sanctified will involve themselves in and the first action is that he will be or she will be motivated from a pure heart we see this in verse 22 The first action, the cleansed believer, Timothy, and every servant of God will be active in is here seen in both a positive and a negative action. 
This is a whole lot more, by the way, than just being convicted or feeling bad or feeling guilty. Some people get a high on that. They get convicted and they get bad. Oh, great sermon, great sermon. Yes, I fall short. And they leave the place and they just carry on as normal until the next sermon. That's terrible. That's an indictment on the reality and the truth of God's word. And so this is a whole lot more than being convicted. This is allowing the convicting power of the Spirit of God to motivate the believer, can I say, to go to the next level. This is what this is about. And what is he to do? What is she to do? Flee youthful lusts. You see that in the text? Flee youthful lusts. This is the negative command, I can put it. Uh, And by the way, it's an imperative form. That means it's not optional. It's a command. Flee youthful lusts. Okay? And it carries with it the idea, this word flee, it's come from the word that we would know as fugitive. You might have seen the fugitive program on TV for many years back, showing my age here. But the fugitive, you know, he's always on the run, isn't he? He just gets through one escapade and then, blow me down, something else is on his case and so he's always on the run. That's what a fugitive is. And that's what we as believers have to be. We need to be always on the run, always fleeing useful lust. We don't get to 40 or 45 and say, ah, I can sit back. I don't have to flee useful lust anymore. I'm done. I'm not a youth. No, no, it doesn't mean that. By the way, this same command was given to Timothy in his first letter, verse 6 and 11. So it's twice. So it's obviously Timothy really needed it in some areas. So it seems that, that Paul knew the, also the present danger and, uh, of, of the potential of the flesh to undermine Timothy's ministry where he was. He was a pastor at, of the church at Ephesus, remember? And uh, he, he, Paul knew that, that there was a present danger and potential for Timothy's ministry to become useless and ineffective. And so the command is for Timothy and every believer whom we, in the Lord's service, is to continue fleeing youthful lusts. Why? Because they would entrap them and make them dishonorable, useless, and unworthy of the master's employ. Now, none of us want that, do we? We want to be useful in the master's employ. But when we see youthful lusts, we tend to think of sexual sin, which, by the way, it does include. It does include. But it also conveys a whole lot more than sexual sin. You know, when we're young like Timothy was, and probably he was mid-30, maybe uh, late 30s, that's still young, I can say that real easily. And we can say that, Steve, eh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Point to you, because I know you've got broad shoulders and can take it. But when when we're young like Timothy was, the youthful lusts are those that are typically generated when youth is on our side. They're typically generated when youth is on our side. But please understand, for us who are older here, Bill, <laughs> pick on Bill this time, an older person is not exempt from youthful lust. You get that? An older person is not exempt from youthful lust just because we are old. And a number of us here would agree with that. That's right, Kevin? I see him nodding furiously over here. But generally speaking, let's get back to the text, but generally speaking, age tends, you hear that? Age tend 
tends to subdue the temptation to pursue things that were hot on our agenda when we were young. Youthful lust certainly speaks of sexual sin, but it also includes sins like pride or, or, or uh, zest for wealth and prestige. Uh, maybe an excessive longing and ambition. Useful lust will also engage jealousy and envy and assertiveness and anger and being argumentative, all of which... I know, quickly tend to jump into gear very fast, more often when we're young and restless. And we can imagine this being the case for younger Timothy. Paul was an aging man, probably 60 plus here. Timothy was in a very difficult situation. Remember, he was a pastor of this church and there was problems abounding. There was false teachers coming into the church and there were some of the, of the converts and those early believers starting to have listening ears to these false teachers and, and some were being swayed. And there, was, and there was so much going on in this church that, and you can understand that Timothy was getting frustrated. He was preaching his heart out week after week after week. He was counseling and, and yet there was this pervading inroad of Satan seeming to have his way with God's people. You can understand he gets frustrated, right? And so you can understand rather than showing wisdom and patience, you can see the potential for Timothy to get angry and scream at these guys. That was a real possibility. A real possibility. John Calvin, he's already been mentioned here this morning in regards to music, but John Calvin described youthful lust as this. Those impetuous feelings and impulses to which the excessive warmth of youth makes young men prone. Now the command here is that a cleansed vessel will continue fleeing such things. You got that? Now let's come back to us. Look into your own hearts now. Are we doing this? Are we doing this? Fleeing youthful lusts? All those things that I mentioned, that's only just a, a sample of them. Are we prayerfully and with focused determination singling out faults and errors and, and, and shortcomings in our lives and saying, with God's strength, I want to and have to get on top of this? Whether it be anger, whether it be impatience, whether it be excessive longing for ambition or wealth, are we getting on top of this? Are we fleeing from it? Because if we're not, you're not cleansed. Because that's what a cleansed vessel does. And if not, you'll be disqualified from service. You're not ready for every good work. But we see here that fleeing useful lust, it doesn't just create a vacuum. You may say, yep, I've got on top of this, I've got this in place, this in place, this in place, and I turn the computer off at this hour, and as soon as something comes up, I shut that down, I don't read this, I don't read that, I don't go to this movie, don't go to that movie. You may have all those things in place, but you know what? It doesn't leave a vacuum. It's not all about fleeing. Fleeing is not the end goal. 
We see here in the text, it's also about pursuing. Here's the positive side of the command. Fleeing is one side and pursuing is the other. You see, Timothy and every believer as cleansed vessels, those who have pure hearts, are to pursue what? What do they pursue? Look at the text. Those with pure and cleansed hearts will pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace. You see that? In other words, on the flip side of fleeing youthful lust, there has to be and needs to be an obedience to the command of pursuing these vital aspects of the Christian faith. There needs to be, really does. Put another way, if you are not pursuing the Lord's righteousness, and when we mean by righteousness, we mean by perfectly right. There's such a thing as self-righteousness. That amounts to nothing, right? It's the Lord's righteousness we want to pursue. It's his standard of righteousness, not ours. So if you're not pursuing the Lord's righteousness, and how do we do that? Not by just coming to church or not just by being a good person. We pursue the Lord's righteousness primarily by studying and obeying the word of God. You will not be in a neutral zone or be sitting on the fence if you're not pursuing righteousness. If you're not pursuing your righteousness, you know what? You will be overtaken by sin. Period. No one is in a neutral zone here. And if you're not pursuing faith, the next thing on our, our little list here, that is being faithful and loyal and, and showing integrity in your pursuit of glorifying God and pleasing Him, you're not cleansed. You're just like a wooden, dishonorable household utensil. You need to change. And if you're not pursuing the next one, love, this love here is agape love, not the emotive type of love that we humans know so well. This is agape love. Uh, this is, by the way, the, the first and foremost fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is a love that, that transcends all human emotive love, the kind of love which God demonstrated toward us in sending his son to die on the cross for us. You know that? God loves sinners so that he sent his son to die for those who hated him because if those who do not love God, those who are not born again, those who are not saved and are a child of God, whether they agree with it or like it or not, the word says, the God's word says, we are enemies of his. And yet while we were enemies, Christ died for us. This is the kind of love that we're to pursue, sacrificial love. And if you're not pursuing this kind of love from a pure and a cleansed heart toward the people God has placed you amongst, like us here in the church, then shameful and dishonorable vessels we are, folks. And if we're not pursuing peace, that is, if you're not in the business of developing and nurturing harmonious relationships, and if you're not focused on reconciling sinners to God and presenting them the gospel and bringing them the truth of God's word, if you're not focused on that, and especially here as we have it in our text, if you're not focused on, on reconciling and bringing about peace with Christians, with other Christians, if we're not doing that, we're not obeying this command that cleanse vessel must obey. Are we doing that? So we see that as the master's cleansed vessels, the ones of gold and silver-like value, we're not sitting in a glass display cabinet. No way. 
We're not just there to look at. But we are to be busy pursuing what he commands and that busyness is motivated from a pure heart. But did you notice how these four actions are to be pursued or when they are to be pursued, where they are to be pursued? Did you notice that? They are to be cultivated with all who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You see what he's saying here? He's saying you can't do this alone. In other words, Timothy and every other servant of God, every born-again believer, you need God's people, God's community. You need God's people coming alongside of you. That is, you need God's people if you're going to pursue single-mindedly from a pure heart, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And you cannot do that alone. You need help. You need the encouragement and the example of God's people before you, around you. You see, God is not creating, as someone say, God is not creating lone rangers. And yet some believers, you'd think, oh, wow, he's doing his own thing, or she's doing his own thing, and they come to church when they want to, and they stay home when they want to, and, and they cut their own path. God is not in the business of creating lone rangers. We need one another. And it's in this context of the local body of Christ that, that we have what? We have mutual accountability. We have, have a mutual exampleship and we have mutual exhortation so that we can live out this God-honoring life. And so he's saying, I want you to pursue this with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. It's just another way of describing believers, Christians, who believe and trust in the Lord. In other words, these virtues have to be pursued and cultivated in the company of fellow believers in the local church, in the local assembly. That's, that's such a vital lesson to learn, folks. It really is. It's such a vital lesson to learn. You will never be empowered to pursue these virtues in any other environment, no matter how good the sermons are on the internet or otherwise. It will not develop these virtues like here. And you certainly will miss out big time if you choose to stay at home and go it alone for whatever reason. We need one another to point us in the right direction, to encourage one another and to support one another. Secondly, we need to develop a discerning mind. That is essential. We see this in verse 23. It's essential. It seems that we live in a day when many Christians tend to think that ignorance is bliss. And what I mean by that, well... It's proven by a general lack of discernment and ability to know what is right and wrong according to Scripture amongst many Christians, so to say. You see, there's never been a day when there has been so much confusion and misunderstanding on such things as ethics and morality and what the doctrines of the Scripture teach. There never has been so much confusion as today. It's amazing, yet we've never had and been in a day when there's so much technology and so many books written about these things. And in this kind of day in which we live is an environment, generally speaking, that only nurtures undiscerning minds. Undiscerning minds that leads to more false doctrine and more sinful living, more compromise, more mediocrity. Paul speaks of this in Ephesians 4.14, by the way, if you want to take the text word for it, which we should. 
He says there that an undiscerning mind will be, what? It says, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul had it down on tech. The Spirit of God through Paul said that this is what's going to happen in the last days. Paul, by the way, he doesn't cite any psychological actions of the mind here. He doesn't go into all the the so-called medical details of what happens in the mind. But you know what? One thing he sure did know. He did know that the believer's mind needs to be protected and guided and guarded. You know what? Because otherwise it can become captive by Satan himself. We see that in verse 26. Don't think just because you're a believer that your mind cannot be held captive by Satan. It can. He can entrap you and snare you and hold you in his clutches. He doesn't have the victory over your soul, but he can make shipwreck your Christian life because of what you give yourself to. And so the ability to discern right and wrong and God's will versus the will of the flesh, the will of man, is only produced when we fill our minds with the right material. This is why Bible study is so important. This is why coming to hear the Lord's word preached is absolutely vital. People only come to church every now and again, maybe once a month or whatever, and they have a problem. Who are you going to call? Call the pastor. You know what I'll tell you? First point, no counsel. You start attending the preaching of the word Sunday by Sunday. And if at all possible, you should be there coming along and, and, and joining in the study groups that the church puts on. You start taking in the preached and word that's made available, and I don't believe I'll need to give any more counsel on your particular problem at all. Maybe you think that's a harsh way of counselling, but it's real. We need to fill our minds with the right material. Paul knew that. This is why Paul says in Philippians Chapter 4, verse 8. He says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Put it in your minds. Let that captivate you. And you know the only place you're going to find those is in the Word of God in the community of saints. And in our text, Timothy is told, as every cleansed vessel is told, told to what? Told to refuse foolish and ignorant speculations. Knowing, there's the word again, knowing, gnosis is the Greek word, that they produce quarrels. In other words, be discerning, be in the know. Discern where any discussion that you might have, particularly in Timothy's context, there was a whole lot of discussion going on, especially by the false teachers who were trying to entrap with their clever words and their speculations younger believers in the faith. He says, refuse them. Don't get sucked into their moronic, that's what the word foolish speculation or ignorant means, moronic, foolish, unprofitable arguments, because you know what? They lead to quarrels which, by the way, is ungodly. A discerning believer knows. A 
discerning believer knows the kind of discussions that lead to no good. And they'll back off. And they'll say what they have to say. In our theology class here this morning, we were looking at the book of Colossians and we were, uh, we were alerted to the fact that when the Apostle Paul came to a, an early form of Gnosticism that was taught in the, the Colossian church, you know what he did? He didn't enter into debate with them in this letter, um, with the believers there. He just taught truth. So the best way to refute error is teach truth. And if people won't accept that, you need to know, okay, this is like throwing my pearl before swine. Back off and let the Lord deal with them. Say what you have to say. Let it be from the word of God and then back off and say, Lord, he's yours or she's yours. I'm not going to be sucked into this entrapment and have my mind polluted. It's ungodly. So the discerning believer knows. And I might say, if any discussion about God or Scripture that we might have, if it does not nurture and produce and make way for godliness, we better think carefully about where the direction of our discussion is going. Now understand here, Paul is not speaking about good, healthy and responsible discussions on Scripture or some doctrine. There's, there's room for those, right? Even if we kind of differ on some of the, the parameters or whatever, there's room for good, healthy discussion. What Paul is referring here to Timothy is any discussion that is designed to undermine the authority of Scripture and to create doubt in the mind of believers as these false teachers on this historic occasion were doing. That's what he's talking about here. Folks, it takes discernment to refuse such ignorant speculations, right? In other words, you need to be in the know as to where the discussion is going. It takes discernment, as we have seen back in 14, not to wrangle about words which are useless. In other words, we need to know what words are useless and what words are not. It takes discernment to shun foolish controversies as Paul tells Titus in, in 3.9. It takes discernment to reject a factious man after a first and second warning, Titus 3.10-11. Any Christian needs to know where to draw the line. And that knowledge is only going to come from filling our minds of the truths of Scripture. A cleansed vessel displays God's glory will develop discernment through the faithful and ongoing study of God's truth. He will be in the know. He will be wised up. She will be wised up to the wisdom of God versus man's wisdom. Thirdly, being a caring peacemaker, we see this in verse 24. Many years ago in my youth, I used to be passionately in love and loved reading westerns. And it was in these stories that I was introduced to a peacemaker. Some of you will know it was a brand given to a 45 Colt handgun that was designed to kill. Kevin must have liked reading westerns as well. It was designed to kill people, maybe to put an end to a war, bring peace, but like the Americans and the Russians, okay, we need atomic warfare to threaten and bring about peace. 
And so this cold handgun, this peacemaker, was also designed to, to maybe put an end to a family feud or, or even to put an end to a personal argument. Sad to say some Christians are like those 45 cold handguns called peacemakers. Their peacemaking skills are, are, are wading in like a blazing gun in order to provide a solution. Rather than biting our tongues, demonstrating kindness and patience, we too often would rather pull the trigger and maybe get others or ourselves to pick up the pieces afterwards. We see here the exact opposite in our text. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be the kind but be kind to all, able to teach, and patient when wronged. Okay, gone here. In other words, as true servants of the Lord, as Timothy and pastors and every cleansed vessel is, our peacemaking skills are to be marked. Not as those who want to settle a score. How often that happens? When trouble arises, oh, I've got to say this to this person. I've got to get my word across. I've got to give this person a piece of my mind. We, we are so bent on settling scores and having our way adhered to. But here the text tells us that cleansed vessels, honourable vessels, are marked with kindness and able to teach and patience. You see that? Yes, as leaders in the church and in the home, we are to be authoritative. Don't get me wrong, dear. We are to be authoritative. We are to rebuke and counsel when necessary. And there may be sometimes there to be some abrupt words said, a clear word said. We don't want to be sending out confusing signals. We want to send out a sound signal. But this authority is to be undergirded with, with a softness expressed in the way that we teach, in the way that we counsel, in the way that we discipline, in the way we patiently respond when we are treated badly. This is a real God-honouring peacemaker, folks. Sad to say, there are too many, as I said before, trigger-happy Christians who explode in all sorts of ways uh, when they feel that their way is not being accepted or their views are not being considered. They explode, they erupt in many kinds of ways by maybe just staying away. It's too confronting. Timothy and every pastor, particularly, as well as every cleansed servant of the Lord, must be a peacemaker. Not to vindicate him or herself, but to edify and nurture unity in the church. That's what they're there for. Folks, cleansed and pure-hearted people will be true peacemakers among the Lord's people and unbelievers only when they submit to the Lord's ways and his ways alone. There is no other. Serving others with a gentleness and compassion. We see this in the last two verses in 25 and verse 26. You see the last action of a cleansed vessel in these verses is simply this. They're going to be gentle in correcting those who are misguided. That's how they're going to be. Gentle in correcting those who are misguided. 
In other words, the bondservant of the Lord is characterized with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. That's what the text says right at the end of verse 26. Or, yeah, 25. The word gentleness there says, it's an interesting word actually, the word gentleness, or you may have meekness or meek in your translation, it was the same word used for when a wild horse or a colt was broken in and ready for riding. And so the idea is not to break the spirits. You don't want a horse with the spirits broken. I know one or two. They're useless for nothing. They're good for nothing. They don't, they don't do anything. So the idea is not to break their spirits, but to bring their strength under control so that they might be used for good purposes. That's the idea here. That's what the weakness is. So the servant of the Lord serves in gentleness or meekness that they are to be strength under control and correcting those in opposition. Strength under control. Isn't that awesome? We are God's strength, under control of the Spirit of God. And we in control as we flee youthful lusts and pursue those virtues that we have already read of. This opposition here is not about personal preferences or opinion that we might have. Nothing wrong with having different opinions. Nothing wrong with having different preferences. Nothing wrong with that at all. And that comes across all the time. You might prefer one style of preacher, I'll prefer another. You might prefer a blue car, I'll prefer a red car. This is not about opinions and preferences here. It's It's not about that kind of opposition. This opposition is here is of disobedient believers who may be teaching the wrong doctrine or or maybe making sinful choices or or maybe even living immorally. This is the opposition it's speaking of here. And so in correcting these people, the Lord's servant is to be gentle. He is to be God's strength under control and not to be reacting in any way out of superiority. That's what it means here. We're so good at that, aren't we? Sad to say. Acting out of superiority. I'm better than you, so you listen to me and shut up. Kind of thing, in the extreme. Or I've done this amount of study. I've been a Christian for X amount of years. You're only a young believer. So because of that, I've got the authority, so you've got to listen to me. No, no, that's the wrong way. Galatians warns us about that. We're to correct and we're to exhort and we're to counsel others keeping in mind that all the time you may be tempted and tested with the very sin that you're trying to counsel in the others. But we need to ask, what is the purpose of such correction? That you might give or that you might receive yourself? What's the purpose? Why bother? What's what's the goal in all this? For the vessel of God, the cleansed vessel. The answer is all true teaching. When you receive it, you know what it's going to require? It will require repentance, repentance on your part to some degree or other. 
Repentance begins, as we talked right at the beginning, it begins with a change of heart or change of mind that brings about a change of direction. As we said right at the beginning, that's a whole lot more about feeling sorry or feeling guilty or feeling uncomfortable. Remember Judas, the scarab? He felt sorry. He felt guilty. He felt uncomfortable. So much so that the best way out for him, he thought, was to he went and hanged himself. It's more than that. It's, it's, it, that misses the boat completely. Repentance here, this is a work of God's grace in the heart that's brought about through the Lord's servants teaching and correcting in gentleness. For example, when we learn how great God is, when we learn something more that God is far greater than we've ever realized before, you know what that calls for? Repentance. Because we thought of God smaller than he really is. Conviction and feeling guilty is by itself useless information. When we think of our behavior as okay, when we think it's kosher with God and yeah, I can do this, I can do that, everything's fine, God is a God of love and so he will smile upon me even though I'm involved in this and involved in that. When we are confronted with truth through the faithful preaching of God's word and that our conduct is not okay, it's not kosher, you know what that calls for? Not for you just to feel bad and feel guilty and feel convicted. It calls for your repentance. And so true teaching, true teaching always aims at engaging someone in order that they might be led to repentance and faith. We need to understand this, folks. We really do. All growth in the Christian knowledge and the Christian faith entails repentance. And if you are not in the business, if you are not engaged in ongoing repentance day after day when sin and error come into your life and you're tempted with it, you better get back to what the Bible teaches. And so Paul here wants to prepare Timothy for this because Timothy, even though he's a pastor of the church, he had some repenting to do. You see, he was on the brink of folding under the pressure of the difficulties of the ministry. He was a timid man, and he was allowing that to get on top of him. But you know what? We know that God is faithful, right? And he would not and will not and would not allow Timothy or any true believer to be tempted beyond what they're able but with testing will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. And God also wants to prepare us for this as well, folks. But we know that growing in the knowledge of the truth can be painful. And it will cost us. Oh yes, it will cost us. But the Lord does not want us to be entrapped he does not want us to be satisfied with mediocrity. That is a snare of the devil that it speaks of in verse 26. That's like being in a spiritual stupor, can we say? We need to escape from that in order to grow in the Lord. And you know how it's going to come? Only through repentance, a change of heart and mind and direction and conduct. And that repentance is granted to us by God's grace. It's granted to us 
by the Lord himself. The fact that we can escape the snare of the devil and and become changed to active vessels and doing the Lord's will. We need folks to embrace and I need to embrace God's truth in order to grow. We need to allow God's truth to convict us in such a way not only to make us feel sorry or guilty but to be made sorrowful that it leads to the point of repentance as the Corinthians word, 2 Corinthians 7, 9. So as the Lord's bondservants, as his vessels of honour here this morning, those who are cleansed and ready for every good work, I speak to you now, may we be motivated from a cleansed and pure heart. May we be discerning. May we be peacemakers. May we serve with gentleness and compassion. May God add a blessing to his word and the challenge we have received this morning. While our musicians are, we're going to sing a, a hymn in closing. And um, it, it's, a, it's a, a little song that kind of encapsulates the need for us to change. And, um, and this change, of course, is not just like turning over a new leaf that some may do at the beginning of a new year.